Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. I'm Oliver Hartwig. I'm the Executive Director at the Initiative. Today, we are joined by our Chief Economist, Eric Crampton, and two special guests. We have on the line from Auckland, Chris Quinn, the Chief Executive of Foodstuffs North Island. And we have also from the Foodstuffs North Island Board, uh, Peter Schut, an independent director who has a long career in many executive roles in different industries. But for the last 15 years, he's been an independent director of a variety of institutions. And for the past eight years, been an independent director of Foodstuffs. So welcome to you all. Good to be here. We want to talk about the market study into the grocery retail sector. That's an issue that kept you busy for the last year or two. And we want to find out how this actually played out from your perspective. We want to find out a bit about the process that you had to go through with your company, but also now, of course, about the recommendations from the Commerce Commission and then what you expect the government to do with them. So maybe if I could start with you, Chris, when you first heard about the market study now being applied to your business, you couldn't have been that surprised because it was a long time coming, wasn't it? Yes, Oliver, that's right. It was well signalled. And, you know, also with the concept of market studies addressing the largest components of household spend, fuel, supermarkets and, and building products is next. We weren't surprised that we would be considered by this. Was signalled for a certain start date and then COVID in 2020 delayed that start date 12 months. But we were certainly well aware it was coming. We've, we learned a lot about what it actually meant and how the process was conducted. And in hindsight, was it what you expected or was it even more onerous than you expected? Look, I think it's a very significant process. 18 months end to end, so between the start of the process and the final report on the 8th of March, I would estimate, you know, probably two thirds of the leadership team at Foodstuffs involved and about a quarter of their time during that 18 months. And then an additional team of advisors, economists and other advisors, and a, a very extensive assembly of data and sharing of information with the commission, literally millions of lines of data and information. And fortunately, all of this came at a time when you didn't have much to do anyway with the COVID pandemic. Yes, yeah, certainly, you know, to be fair, they, they, they delayed it to try and avoid that. However, COVID has continued through no fault of the Commerce Commission or the government, obviously, but did carry on through all of that. So there was a lot of juggling of managing COVID, managing safety and stock on shelf alongside managing this process. And Peter, how was it for you on the board? Well, I guess from a governance perspective, there was a constant oversight of, of the team and what they were engaged in, the progress that were being made, the issues that were being faced, and we're, we're sensible guidance from a, a board perspective. But, you know, I don't think in any way you could underestimate the direct and indirect costs associated with this process. But once you're on the train, you're on the train and you are fully engaged. There is no alternative. Must have been surprising some of the things that they were coming to on it. So I'd moved to New Zealand in 2003. There weren't that many supermarkets around relative to what I was used to in the United States. It became pretty obvious pretty quickly that resource management was a part of the problem, that zoning and consenting made it pretty difficult for new entrants. And we had this crazy regulatory regime where you need permission from the overseas investment office to be able to do anything. All of that seemed to be legislative barriers to entry. So I was really hoping that the first draft was going to be emphasizing these, trying to define the problem that way. The Commerce Commission seemed to think that there was just free money sitting on the sidewalk that somebody would come and pick up because they kept pointing to these excess profits that they thought you guys were earning. But surely if there were excess profits that were really there, somebody would come in to try and scoop them up, right? Like all these other international players, they like money too. They would be trying to grab it if it were real and the Commerce Commission weren't just inventing fantasies. So there would have to be some barrier to entry and if you had a focus on that, we'd be able to fix things. 
I was really surprised by some of the things that they came to in the first draft. Did you find these things surprising as well, or had they signposted that they were going into kind of strange lands of vertical separation? Yes, I think it's fair to say from right through the organisation, uh, there would have been significant surprise around some of the outcomes. And, and I guess to some extent, then that drove a whole lot of additional work that was required subsequent to that. And to Chris's point, the amount of time, effort, resource and cost to a large extent is influenced by that draft report, where there were some significant differences in view from our perspective and from our analysis. And of course, there is no alternative at that stage to try and remedy the position. Now, this is a very specialist area, competition law, competition economics. I would imagine apart from employing two thirds of your own leadership team, Chris, you would have also gotten a lot of external advice on the legal, on the economic aspects, on the public relations aspects of all of this. How much of an exercise was all of this for you then? Oh, you know, to be honest, it was as big as managing the COVID stress on the business. So the, the crisis management of a pandemic required about the same amount of resource as this. And that was not a small thing given our role in the pandemic and in supporting New Zealanders to feel comfortable that there would be food on shelf. So, mm. and when you put the two together, um, clearly, and not just us, this was an industry. So, you know, the, uh, one of our direct competitors being Woolworths New Zealand, we're also heavily involved. So the pressure was on both. Yeah, and just on Eric's Sorry. question then, because we would have expected a slightly different take on the whole market, actually with a focus on international entry, on barriers to entry. Were you surprised then by the line the Commerce Commission took? Yes, and I think there are two or three things at the core of it. The first one is the purpose of the market study was to ensure the market was working effectively for New Zealand consumers and the benefits of competition were being delivered. But an early decision made to only focus on the retail part of the market rather than the entire supply chain, which was focused on in the fuel study and appears to be going to be focused on in the building study. And then you go to the conclusions made about profitability, which fundamentally we felt weren't accurate and weren't correct and need, you know, a lot of work went into the discussion and the information sharing to move that. And I think the last one, the comparison to other industries. So telco, which you know people may know I have some experience and background on the telco journey where there was a single monopoly asset and even the fuel industry where there was a single monopoly asset in the refinery. And the models seem to be sort of considered to be the same into this industry, despite the industry structure being entirely different. And I think those were at the core of why the draft report, you know, the, the profitability thinking, the comparison of other industries without then ensuring the structure was the same, and the narrow part of the industry from a consumer outcome point of view that was considered, those three things contributed to a draft report, that the, the foundations of which needed more work. By contrast, I was really surprised and impressed at the turnaround that seemed to happen with when we got to the final report. So I was aghast at the draft report. It seemed, frankly, crazy. The final report emphasized entry. It had some weird stuff at the end around a regulator to be overseeing stuff, but it didn't look like it was going to be the end of the world. And the focus on ensuring entry looked really reasonable, right? Making sure that land use planning isn't providing a barrier to access, making sure that the government isn't inadvertently making it illegal to set up a large scale new competitor. I was then surprised again when last week we found an announcement that M in the budget that MB was going to be getting $11 million over four years to have a policy team following up on the recommendations from the market study or the implications of the market study. Because to me, it would have just been like one guy. You send a letter to the overseas investment office directing them to consider a new so supermarket as being in the national interest. 
And you direct councils to start consenting new supermarkets. Make sure that zoning and consenting are flexible enough to allow it. There'd be a bit more work in RM reform, but that's part of a broader RM process. You could have just updated the enabling housing supply legislation to say, and a supermarket. What do you think an $11 million four-year policy team at MB is going to be spending its time on? Well, my understanding, the 11 million four years, it's not just for grocery. Obviously, they have work that they've already got underway in the fuel industry. And I think the fuel retailers have been clear about the workload that is, you know, that is upon them to inform MBIE on an ongoing basis. There is whatever finally lands out of this study when when Cabinet determine what regulation they wish to put in place. And then there is whatever comes out of the building market study. So there might be some forward-looking resource requirement in there. I'm not sure how much of the things like the land use, land entry, overseas investment office work is anticipated to be done within this team. So, you know, we we look at it and know we are going to need to have more cost and more investment in delivering information through to a regulator. And I guess that's one of the things that we've tried to push all the way along is that we have to do everything we can to remove costs from this industry to improve value for consumers. There is quite a wide set of things that are unique to New Zealand's regulatory environment that put cost into the food industry. And what would be good would be a very engaged conversation between government and the industry to try and work out what could be removed to lower prices. I take it from what you have told us so far that your impression was that the Commerce Commission didn't quite understand the market conditions at the beginning, and then they embarked on a long process of learning over the duration of the market study. How much did they actually try to seek information from you, not just on the data of your business and the millions of lines of data that you had to transfer to them, but actually on the actual operations of the business? Did they talk to you? Did they seek information? How many meetings did you have? Was there an ongoing communication channel between you and the Commerce Commission? Or were you surprised in the end by a final report that you did have not much input into? There was quite a long period of data gathering and what I would say was one-way research. So requests coming at us with timeframes To be fair, there was some consideration on the timeframes to allow for, you know, COVID and pressure. And, I, you know, that was welcomed. But but there was quite a period of one-way information. Then, really, we hit the point where the draft report came out and the conference occurred. And that's where the, the conversation became more two-way. And then another period of quite one-way as they moved towards the final report. And what do you think were the greatest learnings the Commerce Commission had to actually undertake? Look, I think... The profitability, and maybe Peter will comment a little bit on that because he's very familiar with the journey as the head of our audit and risk committee, and understanding the structure of the industry that there's not a single monopoly asset or wholesale flow point, that it's an industry of thousands of suppliers, 80,000 products, and multiple supply chains that have simply been built by where natural economies occur over time for getting goods between manufacturers, growers, and stores. And that doesn't look anything like a fuel industry or a telco industry. Yeah, look, I think that's very, very fair, Chris. Um, the the lack of understanding of the integrated nature of the business and therefore the asset base that's required to run a business of full integration and looking at simply from a retail perspective, I think distorted the, the initial outcomes and analysis, which then led, of course, to the headlines and other recommendations, opinions, a consequence of that. So engaging, which uh, which Chris's team did remarkably well to shift their understanding of the business was huge. And we saw that in the outcome, really, of the 
you know, the, the difference between the draft report and the, and the final report. And, and naturally enough, the, the conclusions and the recommendations fall from that as well. So a huge amount of work and a shift at a, a huge amount, which probably hasn't been fully recognised. Yeah, I, I was a lot happier with the final report. I'm still a little astonished that the first cut that any economist that it, it's a 30 minute job, right? You look at it, you look out the window, you see what the barriers to entry are. You see the regulations that make it basically impossible for a large scale new guy to come in, given the way the consenting works. It, it, it was really surprising that it took them 18 months of a ton of their work and a ton of your work for them to come to the conclusion that should have been obvious to any economist on looking at it for 30 minutes. Well, the initiative just um, yeah. released a new report, of course, um, this week, where we looked at the performance of our commercial regulators in the country, and the Commerce Commission came last, um, actually overtaking the RBNZ as New Zealand's probably worst regulator or worst rated regulator. What came through in our survey was that um, many large companies actually believed that the Commerce Commission simply didn't understand the market conditions in which they operate, that they lack some commercial expertise. And that was one of the reasons why we have always recommended a board governance model for regulators just to make sure that they have people on their boards, on their governance team, to actually understand market conditions. Was that roughly your impression? Well, certainly, from, I guess from, from my perspective, the depth of knowledge that an industry sector participants in that have relative to a, a group working in the commission. The difference is huge. So there's got to be a great learning curve that's required through the process. And if the front end is largely information gathering, which then results in a series of conclusions, inevitably there's going to be significant gaps. There's going to be errors. And, and so front ending the process with a higher level of understanding expertise of the sector should result in a, a better process and a better outcome. So where are we now? At this stage in time, we have the final report from the Commerce Commission. You have already announced that you are getting rid of your restrictive covenants, but the government has now also legislated for that as part of the budget. What do you expect mm. to happen now from the government in response? So the Commerce Commission has finished their process. It has been handed to MBIE to then create a regulatory impact statement, which we believe has gone to Cabinet. Uh, and we're waiting to hear uh, what the you know what the outcome of that is. Of course, any government retains the right to take the actions that they feel are appropriate. In terms of the final report, look, you know there are things for us to do and to do better for our customers. And what we've tried to do is be transparent and accountable about what those are and that we're getting on and doing them. If you come back to the very core, the, the barriers to entry that stop a competitor showing up in this country are basically the removal of land caveats. That made sense. It's a practice from the past. We have for over a year now said we accept that and we're changing it. We've got two thirds of them gone already. Simplicity of pricing and clarity and fairness around specialing and all those things, they're things we should be doing for customers regardless. We accept that, we're making it happen and will. A code of conduct between us and suppliers, you know, we believe that actually that's a benefit that comes out of this process because there has been a lot of statements, a lot of anonymous claims and a lot of accusations pushed backwards and forwards. What a code of conduct will enable is a structure that will put issues on the table with facts with independent review from a regulator. And I think that will help the industry move forward, solving real issues that do exist and making sure fundamentally the industry works well together for customers because that's really the outcome that needs to be there. It will still be incumbent on retailers to negotiate commercially very well for products so that we can put the best value on shelf for customers. That duty doesn't go away. 
what else might come in it, we will know when government announce. From what I just heard from you, it took you a better part of a year to get the Commerce Commission up to speed on how supermarkets work and how the industry works. Do you have to do the same process again now with the Minister of Commerce? With MBIE, who are involved, yes, there has been some engagement to bring them up to speed with the process that the Commerce Commission has been through. And hopefully, we've basically just been recovering the ground we've covered in the market study process and trying to make sure that they have the same level of knowledge that the Commerce Commission got to after 18 months. Look, and I think that's an investment worth making. Ultimately, if there's going to be a long-term engagement with that ministry over a period of time, the more they understand and know about the sector, the better it is for everybody. Chris, Peter, there's a lot of discussion these days, of course, in the context of inflation, that supermarket duopoly is actually ripping off consumers and that therefore there is a political need for the government to intervene to make sure that uh, consumers are getting a better deal. And that was, of course, the starting point of the market study. They claim that there's excess profitability and that consumers are being ripped off at the cashier. What's your response to that? Can I, I'll just make a couple of comments. I think, again, if we break down which we have done at length, break down the $1 of each sales, uh, grocery sales. And I, I'm, I'm recalling on average between the two major supermarkets, it would be between an average of three to four cents net earnings. And so the majority clearly of the dollar is going to suppliers, then there is GST, then there is our own operating costs. So if you'd think that if there was excessive profits and, um, and gouging going on, that number would be substantially higher than that. I think the fact that our return on capital employed is in sync with that of other countries, you'd have to say that that's another strong indication as to where we sit. And, and I've always had a view that excessive profits results in attracting or creates oxygen for competitors to come in. And we are seeing Costco come in, obviously, with a different model. But we're in a a realistic and globally comparative position. So, I mean, Chris, you can add to that, but the evidence isn't there. The other sort of odd thing is this concept of excess profits being aligned to the fact that you're actually exceeding your weighted average cost of capital. Well, I challenge any organisation, if they want to be successful, should be generating earnings greater than their weighted average cost of capital to create some sort of value and create an opportunity for further investment in the organisation and its people and infrastructure and in our case in customer experience. Chris, with just about a year to go to the next election with the cost of living crisis and with the increase now in the OCR we just got from the Reserve Bank, how afraid are you of becoming a political football in the context of all of these debates? Oh, I, you know, this is a social issue and social issues and political parties of all persuasions come together. There's no doubt from our customers' point of view, which is the thing that really matters the most, uh, you know, the, the challenge on inflation is real in every New Zealand household and food is a part of that challenge. So as a New Zealand-owned, in fact, locally, and you know, family-owned organisation in each community, we need to stand up and do something about the inflation problem for food for New Zealanders. But the key is understanding the key causes of that. So, you know, the number of cost increases from our suppliers is up over 300% compared to a year ago. Those cost increases will be for many legitimate reasons. So fuel, labour, international prices due to events around the world, all those things. We just need to be factual and clear about where they're coming from and then work across the industry and government to do everything we can to remove the cost drivers that will lower the price of food. When the Commerce Commission used the price parity comparison, New Zealand sat 21st in the OECD for food prices, about where we should, alongside Denmark and other like nations. 
the issue that we need to tackle in New Zealand is what's causing the inflationary issues and then how does each industry get on top of them working hopefully in partnership with government to remove the things that add cost unnecessarily and without value so that we can then get better value on shelf for New Zealanders. We've started by investing in some margin. We've done something recently around that. And so far, customers are very positive about that and, and participating in it. But, you know, the, the, the cost up pressures, fuel, labour and international components and supplier costs are the pressures that we've got to keep working hard on. Otherwise, the impact will flow to customers because it cannot be absorbed. Yeah, it's a bit of a dangerous time politically, right? Bad economic times make for bad economic thinking and the need for scapegoats. I was pretty disheartened to hear Minister Clark's statements around that food prices increases are driving inflation and blaming greed somehow. Like any economist will tell you that greed is a constant and everybody is always kind of greedy in one way or another. It's not some pro-cyclical thing. And the, the standard drill is that... It, a, an industry that's less competitive, if you think that that's the problem, is going to be one that passes through less of a cost increase. That's just like, I taught that in intermediate macro uh, when I was at Canterbury. So they seem to be grasping for people to blame for costs that are caused by inflation coming through with Reserve Bank having taken a little while to get back on track and government spending an enormous amount with a positive output gap. And you guys are going to wind up getting hammered as a consequence of it. It's a little de depressing. Look, we are partly accountable for food value and food price in New Zealand. So that means in the 19 cents of every retail dollar that we extract to run our business with and the four cents or so that we keep as profit, we need to make sure we're as efficient as we possibly can. That's our accountability. The next one is the 68 cents of every retail dollar that is effectively the cost of the product from the supplier. We need to work hard on that to make that as efficient and as well negotiated in a fair and respectful way. But on behalf of our customers, you know, they expect us to work on Kraft Heinz or Coke. You know, they expect us to get the very best possible deal and to have New Zealanders get the right pricing in this country from all of our suppliers because that's the right thing to do. So we're not escaping it, but we're not the only part of it. And then in that sense, we wish you all the best on behalf of New Zealand consumers. And we look forward to seeing further developments in this field. And um, we hope that we will get the right kind of outcomes that will actually help competition, help consumers and actually deliver for New Zealanders what they expect from the supermarket sector. But for now, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. And thank you all for listening.